What's up, everyone, and welcome to episode 159 of the Justin Insight podcast, a show where we talk to people involved in the world of alternative music and their journey through it. As always, my name is Tim Baerbeck. I am your host of this show, uh, and I've just come back from a bloody lovely weekend in London. Got to see uh, lots of pals, uh, eat some lovely food, and yeah, just have a overall wonderful, wonderful time in in our country's capital. Um, it's only probably the second time really that I've kind of gone out since all this lockdown shit's happened. So slowly getting out and seeing friends, which is making me very happy, which is cool. But overall, hope everyone's still kind of keeping safe and whatever. I'm um, going to keep this intro ramble as short as possible, but just wanted to kind of say, um, because I'm a massive sadist, I've decided I'm going to start working on yet another new little project soon which if all goes to plan, I'll be talking to you about in the next couple of weeks. But so just thought I'd kind of give a little heads up about that if all goes well. Um, And as always, just want to say a big thank you to everyone who checked out last week's episode with Loz Clark. Uh, It seemed like a lot of people dug that episode and a lot of friends who may listen to the show on a regular basis. I'm not sure, but I know there was more friends kind of reach out for that one in general. So Thanks, everyone, who checked that out. Uh, if you do want to support the show, best way you can do that is by subscribing on whatever podcast platform that you're listening to. Give us a rating. Give us a review. Always, always helps. Uh, or, of course, you can support our Patreon page, which is patreon.com forward slash justaninsightpod. Uh, there'll be a link to that in the description notes of this episode. Right, we'll get on to this week's guest, and it's a bit of a different feel for this one, as we are joined by guitarist and recording engineer extraordinaire Will Killingsworth. Um, I seem to be starting all of these episodes at the moment with a little caveat at the moment, but that's the wonderful thing of having to do all of these interviews via Zoom at the moment, which I'm getting the hang of, but it's still a bit of a pain in the ass because I'd much rather be doing them face-to-face. However, one of the things this time was out of my control and just happened weirdly out of the blue and my knowledge of these things is very limited so I've done my best to try and fix it but hey ho but anyway around about the hour mark for some reason Will's audio just sounds like he's talking from underwater I have no idea why um but as I said I've tried to sort of play around with things and make it sound as good as possible personally I don't think it detracts as always but I just kind of want to give you that heads up if you're halfway through the chat and then all of a sudden you kind of feel the audio dips, that's why. But as I said, I've tried to balance things out. So thank you for bearing with me as I'm still learning 159 episodes in apparently. But there you go, that's life. Uh, Anyway, during the chat, we talk about growing up in Alabama and what the kind of scene was like or not like there, Uh, how things kind of started off with Orchard and um, how that kind of band sort of evolved and how it's still strange that people kind of reference them as an influence point and how we kind of first like out in the engineering game and how sort of Dead Air kind of took off and now why he's so prolific in his work. So yeah, please sit back, enjoy the chat I have with Will and I'll see you on the other side. Brilliant. Right. So joining me this week on the Justin Insight podcast is engineer extraordinaire and guitarist of 
probably some of your favorite punk bands and other various projects that are ongoing at the moment. Uh, Mr. Will Killingsworth. Will, thank you very much for taking some time to have a little chat with me. Um, I'm guessing during kind of COVID at the moment, you're still pretty busy, like mastering, mixing, and kind of doing your day job. So have, have things kind of changed much for you in that aspect? Uh, they've changed in that I haven't recorded a band. Uh, like a band hasn't come here since like March to record. So that's that's definitely mm. different. Um, I'm still mixing and mastering a fair amount. And of course, some of that is people's COVID's project, COVID projects. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but that's still keeping me pretty, pretty busy. Um, but because I'm not juggling the recording side of things, I have a little, I'm a little more on top of my workload uh, than usual, just because mm. normally I'm juggling recording a band a couple days a week and then, you know, getting things back to them as well as like the stuff that's just sent to me online. So now it's pretty much yeah. just all online material. And we'll get into it in a bit of sort of deeper detail later on down the line. But one of the things that, I think a lot of people have kind of seen with your work is that you're very sort of quick in the turnover and very obviously high in demand. So like without getting into too much specifics and stuff, have you kind of just <laughs> like, I don't know, have you kind of worked out the magic formula that works for you in terms of kind of getting things done, if that makes sense? Um, not really. Um, I'm pretty motivated just in terms of in general, like I know people are waiting on things for me. So it's like, it's not that that necessarily weighs on me unless it's a really hard deadline that's, you know, immediate, but yeah, definitely, I'm always aware that people are, you know, waiting on things. And so I'm kind of wanting to exceed or meet their expectations of sort of when they might hear from me or get something back. Um, mm just because the times when I do get behind, which isn't that often, but you know, like the world of getting like follow-up check-in emails and stuff like just kind of takes more time. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Not actually like getting anything done, you know? So it's like, I try and avoid that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I mean, otherwise, um, you know, currently for the past year or more, I'm just self-employed and, you know, I'm just um, making my own schedule. So it's like, yeah, some days I'm up at like 630 in the morning and mastering a record at like 830 in the morning <laughs> and other times not right now, but maybe, you know, I'm free and feel like working on something at 10 at night and I'll just work on it then. So I kind of like can do whatever, being so flexible with the schedule just kind of makes it easier for me to sort of be like, oh, today I feel like doing this or yeah. know, this afternoon I've like I'm spent. So I'm just going to like put it aside and come back at it tomorrow or whatever. That's cool. Well, how I like to usually sort of open up these conversations with my guests is to kind of take them right back to their, their roots and their origins, so to say. And so I always ask, like, what was your kind of, first exposure to alternative music like can you remember what kind of drew you to it in the first place um i mean the first stuff i got into was probably like the ramones um not even necessarily good ramones but uh, <laughs> yeah. i don't know why i picked up a ramones tape but so i was listening to that for maybe a little bit like around 
I guess it was like seventh grade or something like that. Um, and then I, but I wasn't, but I just thought that they were like another band or something. You know, I didn't mm. think that they were some gateway. Um, and then um, I ended up moving to kind of like rural California and met someone um, who was a friend of mine who was, they had an older brother and they were into things like no effects and like the dead Kennedys and whatnot. So that kind of like, you know, he lent me a dead candy CD and I was like, oh, this is cool. Like, mm. um, then even still um, for a couple of years, maybe, or at least a year, I still sort of like, I was getting into that stuff, but also listening to some like hair metal and just whatever, some grunge stuff and not really like thinking like, Punk is like a uh, current underground scenario. Yeah, you know, I was just kind of bands are cool, and I'm whatever some angsty youth that enjoys listening to them. Uh, so then, after living in California for a couple of years, I moved to Birmingham, Alabama, where I lived for like four years, and met another friend um, who was into like current punk and stuff and sort of just opened my eyes to like there was a small record store there at the time and it was kind of like oh these are like this is like an ongoing thing then yeah I got sort of more involved and like kind of interested in like focusing on that and just kind of like being sucked into that world I guess. So was it kind of like rather than sort of being drawn to kind of the sort of punk side of things it, it was it just a case of oh you thought that these bands were cool and then you kind of I guess sort of later on down the line sort of understood what punk culture was and sort of that it was yeah, this kind of years, like I mean from I guess it was until like 10th grade or something so you know it was like there's a couple of years where I was just listening to like the dead Kennedys but also like Nirvana or like yeah Nirvana or something and then it was like that friend like introduced me to like this hole in the wall record shop and it was like oh there's all these current bands with like saying cool thing you know like with messages and stuff that yeah like, yeah and it, you know it sort of just opened my eyes um that it was like i don't know something different than i sort of thought it was before but i just never thought about music i guess in that same way before but yeah and then kind of like moving it forward maybe not necessarily in line with sort of the stuff that you're playing sort of now and sort of later on in your career but like can you remember when you started discovering bands that were a bit more on that underground sort of edge and kind of as you say like discovering the more current bands were there any particular bands that you remember sort of really being drawn to there um yeah i'm trying to think out of novelty what like sort of the first bands were that really got my attention but um but yeah i mean i was like 15 and it was like bands like jawbreaker capitalist casualties um trying to think of other also just like random shit that was just at this record store like random bay area punk from that time like mm. or like crimp shrine like anything on lookout records like screeching weasel um but then also like or like filth who were on lookout but then also got me more into like things like hell nation or capitalist casualties or other like more like 
uh, grindy bands and stuff like yeah. that. It was kind of like once it started opening up, it was like it started kind of like opened up pretty widely, pretty quick, like Born Against and stuff. Um, well, like sort of like formative bands for me of being like, this music's really cool. The like the lyrics, like the message, like the whole package is cool, you know? Like, yeah. I'm into it. Um, and like all like the profane existence stuff at the time. Um, yeah, that was all, all my shit. And like, and also stuff like that records and stuff too. Yeah. <laughs> and because obviously, like, the bands that people know you from, like, they're not, obviously, they specifically have a specific sound, but your kind of journey hasn't stuck to one genre, so to say. Like, you've kind of gone throughout the whole spectrum of, of punk in, in that aspect. And it kind of sounds like that was kind of what you were like as a, as a, as a child as well, like discovering music. So did you, were you not sort of taken by the parameters of like, I don't know, like, for example, like when I was younger, I would predominantly listen to melodic hardcore and that was mm-hmm. kind of it. But like, you seem like you were quite open-minded to anything as long as it sounded cool. Was that kind of the, the case? Yeah, I think that my perspective for whatever reason was that punk was more of like an idea and like a its own world rather than like a specific sound. So I would sort of like intentionally make myself like, like I would make mixtapes of seven inches to listen to like while I was driving and stuff. And I would intentionally go from like suppression or something with like blast beats into like Tiger Trap or Mary Lou Lord or something where it was like really like chill and twinkly into like propaganda, into capitalist casualties, into grief, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. and it was just like, that's just like how I would listen to it. And I mean, uh, it was just kind of like, yeah, I didn't really think about it necessarily as like one sound or like I just mm. bands that sounded like one thing or another. Mm. So then in terms of you actually like picking up an instrument and, and wanting to sort of play music yourself, like obviously we know you as, as a guitarist in various projects and various bands and so on and so forth. So was it guitar that you were always drawn to or was there kind of stepping stones to get to that point? Um, I had played guitar a little bit before sort of being into the punk stuff, but not like, like I had taken lessons, but like not done a great job at lessons and I had taken some piano lessons and not loved that um, and then when I moved to Alabama the friend I met that introduced me to like current stuff was kind of like you know do you play guitar and I was like well I have a guitar you know like <laughs> yeah. uh, like not really but kind of um, so we just started like making terrible music like the two of us um, but and that was, so I wasn't like necessarily drawn to it even then. It was like, I mean, it was fun to like play music with them, but I mm. wasn't like, you know, it's not like I've been sitting at home, like trying to craft some yeah. music or anything like that. That was definitely not the case. So like, I don't want to kind of put words in your mouth, but like, was it <laughs> not, not necessarily that you kind of had an itch to, because I think like some people, when they discover that like, especially within punk and hardcore and stuff that playing music is an attainable goal. Like they kind of get that itch and they automatically want to start a band and so on and so forth. But was that not necessarily the case for you? That wasn't necessarily the case. I mean, I think 
this is all kind of in a small time frame. So I think once we started playing and I started sort of like thinking more about it, I did feel that way. But also in Birmingham at the time, there weren't like a ton of shows and we were pretty young, you know, like, and not that well informed. So it's like, (laughs) it's not like I was going to shows. I wasn't like at some house show thinking like, oh, this is cool. I could do this. Um, you know, like we played at some weird, like kind of ballrooms and stuff, but like there wasn't that much going on where I didn't, I don't think I had that specific aha moment that sort of you're describing. Yeah, yeah. I think it was a little more gradual. Um, but, but I think that I did sort of have that feeling with like records or like releasing music of kind of like anyone can do this, you know, and thinking that that was either releasing other people's music or like my own, that it was kind of like, that seems so attainable, mm. or, you know? So I think that was definitely a drive, but part of that is probably just because, yeah, I wasn't going to a ton of cool shows. <laughs> That's cool. So like in that aspect then, cause like another thing I always sort of find interesting, especially over in the States where it's such a big, fast country and, you can go from one state to the next and their music scene is completely different. So yeah. what what was the kind of scene like for you growing up? Like, as you say, there weren't particularly massive shows, but was it just yeah. sort of a case of you had a close-knit group of friends that all had a similar view? Like, what was that kind of situation like? I mean, I just, I had literally had like a couple of friends that were like into this, maybe like literally three they were like into punk stuff and we would sort of like trade things back and forth and like play music together. And um, there was like the first year or two, maybe that I was getting into stuff there. I really wasn't going to make shows. There was like one place uh, in Birmingham that I went to a couple of shows that was like this larger it was like an old like ballroom that like was like basically trashed. Um, but I wasn't like seeing much music. Um, and then like the first real show I, I saw was Buzz Oven and this band Three Finger Spread, which only people that were into music in the 90s would probably know who I was. <laughs> yeah. um, and that was like at like this weird small club in Birmingham that wasn't like like that was the only show that I ever went to there. It just seemed like odd that it even happened there. Right. Okay. Um, And then there were some shows at VFW halls and I booked a couple, but like there, there wasn't much until there was a different record store that opened up and they started doing in stores and having more shows with like some local bands and like occasional touring bands, but it wasn't Mm. like the exposure. I forget what your initial question was. I'm, um, but the exposure wasn't high to like yeah of like incoming like in person stuff and like in terms of like what was like within my friend group or you know yeah like a ton going on you know like there was like a couple local bands and stuff like that yeah so was was there a point when you kind of did become exposed to that sort of side of things like the whole as you say like that other record store opening up and doing more in stores and getting touring bands but like where where was your kind of point of interest of like going to seeing touring bands and and things like that 
did, did you kind of have to seek it out a bit more? I did, but I mean, I was still like, I didn't, like, I wasn't really traveling. Like, I'm sure there was more going on in like Atlanta and stuff at the time, but at that age, I wasn't like driving a couple of hours for shows or like, yeah, yeah. Friends that were in the know or, you know, it's pre internet. So it was like, I didn't have the right connections or knowledge or transportation to like, you know, figure this stuff out. Um, there was a couple of times where I traveled for like this fest that happened in Dayton, Ohio, that was like a bunch of like crust and like some grind bands where like I saw a bunch of cool bands that like at the time that I was into and aware of, but had never seen. Um, that was mm. cool. Like those crudos played, uh, mankind played, um, us rotten played. And that was probably like 95 or something. Mm. Um, but in general, like, and that record store was getting some stuff in and I saw some bands like, uh, man is the bastard when they toured, they played there. Um, and some other notable things, but I mean, most, most of it is not that notable. Uh, <laughs> I wasn't aware enough to be making enough of an effort to like be traveling or like going too far. Yeah, that's fair enough. And you mentioned that you sort of book shows yourself. So, like, was that more just kind of uh, on a local level that it was just sort of a means to kind of get bands to play kind of thing? Well, so I had, like, um, once I sort of became aware of, like, the accessibility of things in punk, and, like, I was talking about, like, putting out your own records and stuff like that, like, a friend and I started the label that eventually just ended up being me doing the label, but, and I started like working like with, on a zine and stuff. And so like, I was in contact with bands around the country, like either about like putting out a record or maybe doing an interview for a zine. So anytime that they were like touring or something, I would try to be like, you know, I could set up some show mm. uh, here, which most bands weren't touring through but um but so that that was how i did come to set up a few um which was cool like uh defiance the like crusty band the show for um the pissed um and other stuff sort of like that like i wouldn't do like a ton of shows like yeah half a dozen or something maybe because whatever it wasn't that often that these bands that i was in contact with were trying to come <laughs> yeah. to alabama you know so like um but i was just sort of trying to see like if i could get them to come the shows weren't necessarily always great but you know i was like really excited to try and see these bands and try and make something that was cool happen mm. you know? and you mentioned the the label so is it is that clean plate or is that something before yeah. okay i didn't realize it'd been going since that long to be honest oh yeah i think the first release was it must have been early 95 or late 94 oh wow i did for some reason i had it in my head that it wasn't until sort of uh, sort of end of the 90s early 2000s for some reason yeah no it started then i was still in high school um and my friend and i were just like um there was a cool comic that came out uh the pestilence box set which History is not remembered too uh, greatly, but it's got a lot of cool bands on it. Mm. And uh, that label put out a couple of comps, and my friend and I were kind of like, 
these are cool, I feel like we could do something similar with like bands that we like. Um, and that was sort of the impetus, like we could probably like call up bands and get them to contribute like a song or something, you know? Mm. <laughs> well, because I was, I was going to touch on this a little bit later down the line, because I thought it was a bit further in the narrative, but we'll talk about it now. So in okay. terms of the, the label, like obviously, I, I used to run a, a very small label for a very short period of time. And as you say, it's that kind of gratification of knowing that it's something that you can be a part of and kind of give back to the scene and sort of so on and so forth. Yeah, so yeah, okay. so was was that kind of like the driving force behind it sort of thing initially? Definitely. I think at that, I mean, I think I still feel some desire to like contribute and, you know, like, actively participate in a way where it's like being part of this communal activity in this community like but i think especially being in birmingham where there wasn't like a ton going on it was kind of like i was hungry for some sort of way to like be a part of this or you know like do something i guess essentially and it was just kind of like a i think i can do this you know yeah and, you know, because it's, oh. it's not really like this now, but like, you know, I don't know, like every few, like 10%, 25% of records I would buy would have like some insert in them that was like, you can put out a record, like it's easy, like these were the costs of putting out this record, you know, like, it's like a couple hundred dollars for the vinyl, like we got photocopies for 50 bucks or someone stole them or like whatever. <laughs> yeah. so like, see these and you'd just be like, oh, like this seems you know, and it would have like the contacts, you know, it was like, it was like, we use this pressing plant, here's their phone number, you know, it's just kind of like, this is something I could do easily, you know? Yeah. Like, I have a summer job, I can pay for like a couple hundred dollars, you know? <laughs> like, <laughs> that was like pretty much it. And then in terms of kind of like the growth of the record label, like I know obviously yeah. you put out some of like your own bands and things like that, but obviously it's it's grown and, and it became kind of an established thing in, in some aspects, especially within the, the punk DIY world sort of thing. So did you kind of want it to go in that direction or did it just kind of evolve naturally? I think at first I had high, higher aspirations with the label. Like I was like, or at least I was actively like trying to think about like getting bands demos and was kind of like, this band's demo is awesome. Like, I wonder if they would like put out a seven inch with me, or, you know, like kind of thing like that. Not thinking like whatever, like this band's going to be huge, but just like, yeah, this yeah. Is awesome. And I really like this. It would be cool if they want to do something. Um, but sort of trying to like, or being like, I really like, love this band that put out these three seven inches or LP. Maybe they would do something with me. Um, so at first that was definitely sort of the, the not goal, not like the ultimate end total goal, but you know, it was like part of it was trying to sort of like get the label to be, to grow and be like, mm. cool stuff. And like, just be like the labels that I liked at the time, whether it was like Profane Existence or Slap a Ham or Fetus Records or, you know, bands that were just putting out shit where I was like, they put out a record and I was like, I want to check that out because I, it's probably cool. Yeah. Um, 
And then at some point, probably related to like in the 90s and early 2000s, it was like you could put out a grind seven inch and sell out of like a thousand copies and press another thousand. Yeah. Uh, and it was just kind of crazy. And then eventually I ended up getting stuck with like as sales changed going into like the 2000s and whatnot. I ended up just like sitting on like hundreds and hundreds of records because it was like the amount of like the quantity that people were buying and stuff just went way down of like you know how much you could sell of like each record and it wasn't like I've never been a great business person despite <laughs> what you said about uh, the studio work um, so it's like it's not like I was paying attention to like trends or numbers yeah and, yeah. Oh, I probably pressed 2000 of thinking something, thinking it was really smart and it really wasn't. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, whatever. But so it, it got to a point where it was like, I had gotten overly confident with these releases and it was just like, oh, now I'm sitting on hundreds or maybe thousands of records and like have a credit card bill and I shouldn't like keep, like I shouldn't be putting out 2000 of this yeah. <laughs> unless I want to just like destroy my life no uh, that's I can I completely like understand because that was sort of a similar situation to me like <laughs> I, when I first started I was just doing like cassette releases so I was doing that doing that and I built up to doing a couple of 12 inches and as you say the first couple moved quite well and then I kind of made yeah. the leap to something else and it just didn't shift as well and it's like yeah, oh, I've got all these boxes just sat in my spare room. Yeah, yeah, and I mean it's kind of depressing, but it is it is what it is. But yeah, um, so that was kind of the first time that the label took like a bit of a break, or like I don't remember exactly, but I think that between you know it was probably like two thousand two or somewhere around there, and. 2004 or five like I really didn't put out that much and I kind of shifted it to only bands that I was friends with and that I like basically it was bands I was friends with I was seeing them play shows I was playing shows with them and I was like this band is awesome I you know feel personally attached to them and they don't have either they don't have someone to put out their record or they don't know what to do with their music or you know like whatever and now it's kind of like i have this avenue maybe i can help sort of facilitate mm. these things um so that was you know i guess sort of like where i then took the label after it's sort of tanking on me sort of <laughs> Um, and then I was pre uh, proceeding like way more cautiously with like pressing numbers and like fans would be like, we want to put out a CD. And I'd be like, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I'm not sure we should be doing a CD. And sometimes they would talk me into it and other times I would talk them out of it. But, um, but you know, like that's like when things like Daniel Striped Tiger or Death of Tyrants, Wasteland, bands like that, there were like local bands that, I felt like some kinship with where I was like, this is important to me, like as a person to help release it. Not just like, not even like, I don't even know what the, like, I think people should love this band. Yeah. I yeah. Don't know, 
I don't know necessarily what people will think of this band. That's fair enough. Um, and then if we kind of just switch back to kind of like the music sort of side of things, obviously, for me personally, and I think a lot of people, their first kind of introduction to you as a musician was through Orchid. And I think obviously that kind of history kind of speaks for itself. But were you kind of part of any other bands that you particularly are proud of and, and think are notable prior to, to Orchid? Prior to Orchid, uh, not not particularly. I mean, there's <laughs> there definitely some like bad crust bands that I'm glad, you know, like YouTube and Bandcamp didn't exist then. <laughs> yeah. It can just be my secret and um and just bad who knows what they are bands um yeah yeah but then the only band that i was really in before orchid that released anything on vinyl was laceration which i'm not necessarily i mean i'm not like embarrassed of but i'm not like that was like a crowning achievement but it was formulative and you know like, yeah i don't know it was informative so so what, what kind of music was that? Uh, that was like grindy, like kind of power violence influence stuff, but that wasn't even really a band. That was like my first recording project where it was right, like, okay. Like I think that I had sort of like whatever people I I literally was only playing music with like three or four people tops and like some of them had moved to like I took a year off between high school and college and so my friends had like moved away and I was just kind of like I'm just gonna write a bunch of riffs and songs and then like I got together with a friend of mine who played drums and we would just on my four track literally record like 50 songs at a time that I had written yeah and then I slowly put like another put bass on them and then I would like record vocals on them like 10 songs at a time or something and like put them out as something. So mm. I think at some point that band probably collectively recorded like 150 or 200 quote unquote <laughs> songs that may or may not yeah. have ever been finished or released. But like, and then I would sort of like be like this one I like, cause I mean, I had never even heard them before. We would like learn them, practice it. And then just like hit record. And I was like way I was way less discerning at that point in time of like, sort of like, what do I really feel about this part? Or I wouldn't even think about drum parts. I'd just be like, cool, you know how to play the song on drums? Great. You know, yeah, like, yeah. That's cool. next song. Uh, <laughs> so, so yeah, it was afterwards that I would sort of comb through and be like, I mean, lots of crap still probably made it through the process. <laughs> <laughs> and be like this song seems more special <laughs> <laughs> fair enough so and then so if we kind of go on to orchid a little bit i'm not gonna get you to go through the whole history of the band because that's what the internet's therefore people can <laughs> do their own research and whatever yeah but for a lot of people still to this day like orchid is considered like this seminal band to create this specific sound that is still emulated today kind of thing so when you were kind of starting that band like what were the embryonic sort of ideas of the sound because like obviously i was very young when orchid was around initially and it's only kind of retrospectively that i've been able to listen to it yeah. but like from my research and stuff of, of kind of just digging into music in general 
there wasn't really anything that kind of sounded like Orchid at that time. So what were kind of you pull, pulling influences from and what we, did you initially want the sound to be like? Well, I think a lot of that stems from the fact that I was like at that time, like I was super into grind and power violence like more than anything else specifically at that time like i'd sort of gone from like general i mean my taste always remained some varied within like the punk spectrum but yeah sort of had gotten more narrowed as i got more into like crust and like political stuff and more into like power violence stuff and like the slap a hand catalog and so and at that point i was like pretty focused on like uh you know like grindy stuff and like really like aggressive stuff um so that was kind of like my i mean like the last band that i've been in was like this whatever grind band um so i was still thinking about like last beats and like you know whatever um so like when i was writing those like initially songs and whatnot and I always think it's funny, like, I made a mixtape for Jay, the singer, of, like, inspiration points that I had that was pretty varied, but it had, like, bands like Destroy and, like, I don't know if Spaz was on there, but, but they might have been, or, like, I don't know, Charles Bronson or who knows, you know, like, these kind of, like, grindy bands. and then, Yeah. But also bands, like, I was into Neurosis a lot at the time. And I think that was, like, kind of formative for me for sort of like sort of like the not weirder but like I don't know kind of like dark atmosphere maybe kind of like concept as well as like the kind of like European like German bands that kind of tend to touch on like Sistral or Carol or Acme or Morser which were all kind of doing this like it wasn't power violence it wasn't like just hardcore it was and it was kind of like this you know like dissonant aggressive music um i guess that's where i sort of felt like was my interest mm. and I, you know i was like i was also into converge and like cave in for a time around then um but also it was funny like when i moved to massachusetts where i still live um when which was like for like a year, year and a half before Orchid started. Like, and I started going to band, uh, I'm sorry, I started going to shows like where Converge and other bands like that were playing. It was weird because like the scene now, like there's like a whole, you know, like mosh, metalcore, whatever scene. Yeah. But at the time, like that's like worldwide. At the time, like I had not been exposed to that. Yeah, like, yeah. Living in Alabama, going to like see crust bands and shit. Like, I just wasn't aware that there was like a world of like jocks that wanted to like punch each other. <laughs> yeah. while this, this aggressive music. And I was just kind of like, you know, I like went to these shows and I was like, this isn't cool. Like, you know, like, and yeah. it, was, it was weird, but it was like kind of this like, break for me where I was like I'm not like I started listening to bands of that ilk less because I didn't feel like I related to it the same way anymore like I didn't want to like be at those shows or like I don't know it was weird um mm. now it's like with YouTube people like know that within like 
five minutes of like checking out fans or something. But, yeah, uh, yeah. But yeah, so I don't know. I guess it was yeah, sort of like this dissonant idea of like aggressive, yeah, like dissonant, uh, aggressive music, blast beats, but like you know without like testosterone behind it or you know without being like whatever like in the 90s it was like safer to chug without becoming like a chug band <laughs> yeah but you know like a mosh band so then in terms of kind of like because again my my sort of limited understanding of of what the sort of massachusetts um sort of maybe a bit more sort of narrowed boston scene was kind of like at that time as you mentioned like bands like converge cave in and things like that but obviously orchid yeah wasn't necessarily in line with that per se so when you were starting to do shows and things did you find it difficult to find somewhere to kind of fit in initially um not really because my scope was still pretty narrow in some way like i mean like initially we were just playing shows like that i was setting up at the college that i was going to which was just kind of, again, me being like, I have the ability to set up shows here and trying to reach out to bands that now I lived closer to and try and get them to play. Um, and then we could play in Boston a good number of times, you know, it was like house shows um, and stuff like that. Um, or like kind of like warehouse kind of spaces. But I wouldn't say that we had a, a hard time fitting in that world or like, that scene wasn't like really different at the time, but it was different enough that it didn't really intersect. Like, I mean, people were like going to shows of like all these bands and whatnot, but like we weren't really like playing with them or I don't know. It was separate, but not separate, I guess is what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. And then as I mentioned, cause obviously still to this day, like people, especially in the, quote unquote sort of like screamo world hold orchid sort of aloft as one of sort of the top tier bands and and sort of still take inspiration from them and things but in terms of when you were actually an active band and and things like that can you remember like a period of time where it had kind of grown out of being like you putting on shows and sort of going on tours and things like that where people are or actually sort of actively seeking you out because obviously nowadays with the internet it's a lot easier but back then like it was very much word of mouth and and things like that so can you remember when people started to pay attention to the band yeah for sure i mean because the first tour or two that we did i mean like so i was doing the label um i had stopped doing any zine work um but i was still in touch with through the label like everyone i knew throughout the u.s or who played or who was into music, they were all only in grind and like crust bands. And like, mm. so like when I was looking to play anywhere, I was contacting and no one else in the band, like some of the other guys have been in bands, um, but like no one really had contacts beyond their immediate local scene. And I was kind of the only one that was like, yeah. oh, like I know someone in a band in whatever, Virginia or Florida or, you know what I mean? So it was like, I can call them and see what we should do, you know, like who could set up a show. <laughs> yeah. um, but so like the first tour we did was almost exclusively with grind and crust bands. Um, 
which to me was cool um, and not even illogical. Like I was just like, we're just a band. These yeah. are people I know making cool music. And then it was somewhere, definitely not on that first tour, maybe, um, and probably not even on the tour, because we did a US tour when Chaos Is Me came out and like people were like, I feel like aware of like of who we were to an extent, but it wasn't like, I don't know, like the bands we were playing with were still pretty diverse. And then there became a point where it was like, we were playing, no matter who I called, like, you know, we were playing with like emo-y or like screamo-y bands, uh, et cetera, mm. which is just kind of like this funny shift of like, I mean, whatever, those shows were also cool. Um, but it was just kind of funny because we never like, it was just like who we had contacts with or whatever, but there was somewhere probably, I guess, after, maybe in some places after and the others on the that Chaos Is Me tour where it was like, that was sort of the shift um, of what you're yeah. talking about. And maybe where like, instead of me being like, trying to call someone to play in Connecticut, someone would be like, hey, do you want to come play at this record store in Connecticut? And we'd be like, sure. <laughs> yeah. And like as as mentioned, like you mentioned, chaos is me, and obviously this year's the twenty year anniversary of Dance Tonight as well. So and like I think, as you say, bands still to this day reference Orchid as sort of an influence and inspiration and things like that. So for you, I guess as well within your sort of day to day work as now being an engineer as well, is it strange that people? still reference those records that are more than 20 years old and is it kind of a, a humbling point for you or is it very strange that i don't know you could be sent a, a track that has potentially influence your guitar influence on it um, sort of thing i mean it it is humbling and it's definitely and flattering um i think that a lot of times to me i'm like i'm not sure like there was other cool bands from that time period um and i'm not sure like sometimes it feels like we're elevated more than than other bands i don't know like i'm like not sure why specifically from my vantage point i mean it's it's cool i appreciate it um but um you know sometimes i'm just like it's surprising that people are still you know that that remains like some sort of touchstone for like a sound or like a specific or something yeah um for sure. It's not that often that I get stuff where it's obvious or someone like specifically mentions Orchid, but it happens. But, you know, I don't, I don't think it's that, I don't think it's that awkward. <laughs> yeah. I, think it, I think it's like conceptually more awkward, but I'm like, that's cool. Thank you for digging this music. I will happily work on your music to the best of my ability. And then I'll like, <laughs> you know, maybe I'm like ABing their recording to like other recordings and I'll compare it to like an Orchid recording. And I'm like, I'm not sure that they really want to sound like this Orchid recording. Like it doesn't sound that great. <laughs> you know, like their recording can probably yeah. sound better than this Orchid recording. <laughs> but, um, you know, um, I don't know. It is nice and can be weird, but usually isn't weird. I think the only time... Yeah. It was weird was that 
one of the tribute comps that someone put out, I was asked if I would master that, and I was like, that's a little too close to home. <laughs> I was like, yeah. I'm not sure I can, I can dive that deep on this. <laughs> Uh, so that, I think that was the only time where I felt weird and like actually turned something down. <laughs> yeah, that's fair enough. Um, and then sort of like moving on from Orchid, I think like personally, like the next thing that I was exposed to of yours was was Ampere. So like was just to kind of, I don't obviously want to go band for band, <laughs> but if was there like a whistle stop tour between Orchid and Ampere, or was Ampere like the next thing that you kind of were heavily involved in? Um, in between kind of is when Bucketful of Teeth existed. Um, uh, sort of like the end of Orchid being able to be a band that like regularly practiced and played music because the other guys had moved to New York and I was still in Massachusetts. Um, Bucketful of Teeth was just kind of like a side project essentially like that didn't really, we did like one six, day tour but like we didn't play shows we just basically wrote and recorded music that was kind of in between right and overlapped orchid and ampere but i think that to me it was kind of like it was kind of like my avenue to try some like crazier things or like things that i thought mm. were weird or maybe like didn't fit as logically into like the punk context or whatever. And so Amp was almost like me trying to um, not merge them, but I was like, I was trying to be informed by both things being, being like doing these like crazier things or weirder things is cool. Um, you know, like maybe I can not only do it in this project, but also in like another project in like a different way or can try and think of how to use those ideas like your time signatures or whatever with aggressive dissonant music and kind of like whatever you know just see where that lands i guess mm. and could, well because you mentioned it there like i think going for well from listening to orchid then to ampere as you say it's got that more sort of chaotic sort of energy to it and and there's a, a lot more sort of it's still got like orchid's still got a frantic vibe but like ampere it seems to be a lot more there on purpose if that makes sense yeah. so was was that kind of like the idea with that band because again I, I think just because of by association people kind of lump it in with the screamo world because obviously your connection with orchid and the other members yeah. of that band but like i don't like i don't know for me personally it's a lot more kind of fast aggressive hardcore so was that kind of the the angle that you were leaning on well i think originally when we formed the band the idea was just to be like a noisy hardcore band and then i think but that sort of like the demo like was like an attempt at being just like a noisy hardcore something um but obviously informed by our musical histories and i think that it sort of ended up, I mean, like a lot of bands, you like think like, oh, I'll try and pick some inspiration from this. But then that's not necessarily what you, the music you end up creating sounds like. And I think that that's a good thing. But so I think that sort of for us, it was kind of like the songs that we liked the most that we were writing 
were sort of like of the character that we kept writing. And I think that it was kind of like mm. doing the weird time signature stuff and whatnot was like fun and challenging and different from like sort of like what we were doing in our other bands or at least like I guess I was doing in Bucket Full of Teeth but it was still in a different way um, and it was kind of like it was a bit of an experiment I guess but, and I guess we were aware of trying to do it as like sort of being like to me it did make it seem like more chaotic or more crazy or like unpredictable or you know like I was basically just trying to like push myself to make it as crazy or chaotic as I could, but while trying to not make mm. it just like uh riff salad or like imperceptible or like, <laughs> yeah. you know. I mean sometimes when I go back and just hear like one ampere song for a second, I'm like, what is happening? But uh <laughs> <laughs> but I know that that's not really what's going on. Uh, <laughs> but so, you know, like, we definitely, like, worked hard to, like, sort of craft those songs very specifically, like, moment by moment throughout their structure, um, for better or worse. Uh, yeah. And then in terms of kind of, like, again, because Ampere kind of built its own sort of fan base as, as well. And I think, like, again to this day bands still reference ampere as well and like did you find when you were sort of playing that fans had followed you from the orchid days to ampere or was it very much a new beast in its own thing and it, it kind of opened up a new audience to um you? i don't know if it opened up a new audience or not but it definitely didn't just like continue over um i think that it was definitely different i mean some of it has to do with like different like time periods of like the last Orchid US tour was in 2000 and the first Ampere US tour was 2004. And even that four years yeah. is enough time for like scenes to change and like whoever you talked to before that was doing shows like moved or like the bands like don't exist anymore or like a scene that was cool is not cool yeah, yeah. anymore. Uh, or not, not cool, but you know, like it used to be crazy and now it's like two kids which is fine but you know like <laughs> yeah like funny how much things shift in them out of time but um it definitely felt to me not like i was like to say i was like proving myself again sounds overly dramatic and intense but it's it definitely wasn't like all right like just like riding the same horse here we go like <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I remember especially when Pocket Full of Teeth did those six shows, which was, I honestly forget what year it was, but it was pretty shortly after Orchid broke up or like, I honestly don't remember in the timeline if it was after we broke up or like around that time, but it was like my first time playing shows not with Orchid in a while. And it was like, oh, we played multiple shows to like, multiple of those six shows were to like, five people which is fine but i was just kind of like oh yeah even though i'm calling the same people about the same show you know like it's not i didn't have expectations for like a new band but like i was just like oh yeah things are going to be different like or you know like yeah, it's not, yeah. It's not just like 
I've built like this empire where like <laughs> come out to like watch me riff or something, which isn't what I thought, but you know, it was definitely like very real. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so then in moving on from sort of Ampere, like we mentioned kind of before I started this conversation properly that the bands and projects you're kind of part of now. And I think like looking through your discography and sort of your history as a musician, like you've constantly always wanted to sort of do something new and kind of have your finger in many pies sort of thing. So is, is that like, I guess kind of going back to when you first initially started playing in a band, like it, you didn't necessarily have that itch, but is that something now that you've developed that you constantly want to be active and constantly want to be playing in bands and having some artistic output? Yeah, I mean, to me, it's a little different now. I guess I feel like a little, like by the time that like Orchid was a band, I definitely had that feeling. I mean, also I was like, I was lucky to be in college and not working otherwise, you know, so I would be like, wake up and be like, I want to like play guitar for an hour, uh, you know, like, and feel like yeah. really like driven to be like, like write some song. And now it's like, I feel motivated to like, pick up guitar and like fuck around but I'm not necessarily like like I really want to write this song like some song today or like I've got this like big idea um but to me now it's more of almost like playing music with people something I like to do and something I, I enjoy creating music and you know playing in bands with people and it's kind of like as they're not extremely like social person to me it's like they're also like my friends that i choose to like spend time with and it's just like oh yeah like it'd be cool to play music with this person or you know like i don't know this band stopped doing something but i'd still like to do something with so and so from that band or like whatever so it's also kind of just like fun you know it's just fun <laughs> yeah yeah i mean it's always been just fun but you know it's like it's not necessarily that i feel this burning itch to write like the next great thing um but it's like <laughs> yeah i do feel motivated to just like keep making music or making whatever just because that's what i like to do ultimately but it's not necessarily that i like like to sit in my room and think like this song you know like yeah yeah and then in terms of kind of like the projects that you're kind of more involved with with now obviously no faiths being one and, and longings being another that i kind of wanted to focus on a little bit because they're records that you do vocals on as well mm -hmm. as playing guitar and and you mentioned like that very first sort of grindy band that you did sort of vocals in mm -hmm. in that as well so i don't know like i always find it interesting how people kind of get in, into sort of doing vocals and, and want to sort of pursue that as an avenue. So I guess like maybe in those earlier days, it was kind of through necessity, but <laughs> like with sort of no faith and, and longings now, like why did you kind of want to explore that avenue? Or was it something that you'd always kind of wanted to try and just kind of, this was the opportunity to, nope. to have a go at it? Sort of thing? <laughs> uh, nope. uh... No Faith was kind of a funny situation, actually. Originally, I wasn't in the band 
like when the first record was recorded and while it was in process of being like while the music was being recorded i wasn't in the band okay it was kind of my friend uh matt chu's idea like it was his brainchild if you will that he had sort of enlisted people to like create like you know he had written these constructed these songs written the riffs and sort of called upon other people to like help him like make it into like a thing uh, and he mm. his original idea was that he was doing vocals and someone else was doing vocals and up until at some point during the recording process of that record someone else was do was the other person doing vocals and then right that person i can't i don't remember the honestly the specifics but basically they couldn't do it or seemed like they weren't interested anymore whatever and matt was like was like you have this like cool voice that's like different than mine do you want to do vocals and i was kind of like sure we <laughs> <laughs> um, could try that um and that's pretty much how that came to be um it wasn't like me having a, an itch to do vocals um yeah and doing vocals is pretty unpleasant but uh <laughs> or like physically grueling um especially if you don't do them that often so but that's kind of how yeah. that came to be and then like whatever that project has continued but initially it was just that record and who knows what would happen after it so um i think yeah initially i was kind of like signing on for that record like sure and then like it was like well how about we like work on this other idea and then like as time has shifted like the last record we did i played guitar and bass on and like wrote the last record he and i wrote a fair amount of sort of split up the songwriting process and like riff writing whereas on that first record he had written pretty much everything i didn't write any of that uh, and then the new yeah. record that we have in process is like also like both of us writing stuff and contributing um but so the band has kind of like morphed how it's existed over time um and my role mm. in it has kind of morphed also <laughs> but in terms of kind of like as you say it was like sort of situation of being asked and you're like yeah sure yeah. why not kind of thing but I guess kind of like the more you've done it, have you become more comfortable with it or do you still find it kind of an arduous task a bit? Um, I, I, I think grueling is the right word. I mean, at least, <laughs> I mean, I don't know how to properly scream or I haven't, you know, done like the, uh, whatever death core vocals, YouTube tutorial, uh, <laughs> yeah. do or whatever, you know, like, so it's like, I'm sure I'm doing it like dead wrong. So, you know, it's like the new stuff we've been working on, we've been trying to be kinder to ourselves, but it's like when you only do vocals, you know, maybe not at all for a year or two, and then you try and record three songs screaming your head off. Like, it's like I end up not being able to talk for like two or three days. It's like, it's you know, <laughs> yeah. like pretty awful. Um, so it's like, because, and because it's a project band, we never like get in the swing of things, so to speak. So it's like, to me, it's like always like 
it's like the first time and I'm just like shredding my throat open. So um, it has not gotten more intuitive or pleasant necessarily. Sometimes it's like, I think I know what I'm doing, but then I'll like hear something back and be like, oh, that's awful. I guess I have to try that again, <laughs> unfortunately. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, no. Fair enough. Um, so then if we kind of bring things up nicely to, to where you are today and kind of the, your, I guess your so most active kind of part of your life is obviously Dead Air Studios and, and sort of the engineering kind yep. of side of things. So where did that kind of interest initially birth from? Like, was it because you said obviously doing those kind of early recordings on, on an eight track sort of thing and stuff yep. like that. So was it just something that you were kind of interested in and then it grew from there? Or was it something that you'd kind of always wanted to pursue? Uh, no, it was definitely just something that I sort of was kind of interested in and done like a little bit of like, so the first bands I was in, like the very first band, I think we borrowed a four track from a friend of my friends and like recorded some studio recording of ourselves in his basement. And then like, Another band I was in, like, traveled an hour to, like, record with someone who had a four-track, and we were sort of, like, and I was kind of like, oh, this is cool, like, it sounds, this person knows what they're doing a little better, it sounds better, and then I don't even necessarily remember why, maybe it was because I wanted, I had this idea of this, the laceration project, where it was just, like, recording myself, essentially, but, like, I decided to like get a four track um, and just start fucking around with it on my own. Um, but even then I was pretty much just recording that stuff or like just doing weird stuff on my own. Like, you know, like trying to make like mm. a guitar over myself or like the tape and make it backwards or like whatever, just doing like weird stuff. Um, and then, but like, I never really thought too much of it other than like, I mean, also at the time, being someone interested in punk in Birmingham, there wasn't like, not that my bands were that active, but there wasn't like, at least that I was aware of, a clear choice of like, I should like record, we should record our music with this person or, you know, like, yeah, they know what they're doing and like know what we're after. So like, I think some of it was also just like necessity of like, I have this idea or like it's not going to get better than this four track and we don't know anyone who can do it better <laughs> so we might as well like just do it ourselves <laughs> or whatever um and then when i moved to massachusetts for college the school that i went to had like a very small meager studio with an eight track there was a digital eight track and a real real eight track and took a studio course there was two studio courses but they weren't really one was all like just like electronic music and the other was which was like you know like midi stuff and whatnot and the other was kind of like this is how the reel-to-reel -reel machine works but it wasn't really like how you like make a rock record necessarily you know, kind of like, yeah it was basically what you took to be able to use the studio <laughs> <laughs> so like by the time that I was doing that, 
my friends and like Jay was in a band before Orchid that was at our school. Like they were recording their demo there themselves. And I was like, not even like really good friends with them, but sort of friends with them. And I was like, oh, I could try and help with the, like the studio, like whatever. I know how the tape machine works, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. and that was like pretty much enough to like be like, to like help them record that demo, you know? And then when Orchid got together, that was like, we recorded the demo in that same studio at the school. And again, it was just kind of like, I have access to this and know how it works um, to some extent. So it was like, and even then, I mean, I guess I knew that there were some places that we could record, but I don't think, one, it wasn't like we necessarily had like ideas of fidelity in mind. And also it wasn't like we didn't have aspirations about like what it would sound like or what the band was necessarily going to be or not be or it was whatever mm. we've written these songs let's record them here's the studio at our school like you know like it's just easy enough yeah, but yeah. it was just kind of like we'll just do this it's free it's here kind of thing um so i think it was that and then i recorded a couple of other bands like you know like the local band and i'd be like whatever we i'd play a show with them and be like if you want, I have access to this eight track studio. We could record, like, if you want to record a demo, we could do that, you know. Uh, or, like, I yeah, do, yeah. and I didn't do that many things like that, but that's how, it, like, probably, I don't know, half a dozen recordings were done that way. And then, um, sort of from there, it was like, then, like, Orchid had progressed, and we recorded with a few people with Steve Austin, with Kurt. And then I think after Dance Tonight, I was kind of like, I think I had started to envision more of what the band could sound like. Or maybe we had all sort of started to like, maybe we all had like some grander ideas too, but I think we all started to like create more creative control or what, you know, like that sort of thing. Well, we could yeah, like yeah. record ourselves or like I could record it. And um, for me also at that time, it was kind of like thinking about what my interests were, which was pretty much just music. Um, but I knew at, at, by that time also that like running a record label was not like something I wanted to do as like a business or like something that not only did I not want to like run it as a business, but it wasn't something that was going to be like, I didn't want to try and think about like making money off of it because that seemed almost impossible yeah, yeah. you know like, <laughs> like i wasn't going to pay any bills putting out grindcore seven inches <laughs> yeah so um you know i was like maybe i could record bands and not be paid a lot for it but maybe it could like whatever be how i pay some bills or maybe i could transition this into some sort of job where i had yeah doing what i like which is music and you know these skills that i've sort of got or have sort of been putting together by like helping these bands with their demos sort of like thing um and by the time i graduated mm -hmm. college it's like i had done, recorded a few things that were re released on vinyl so i gotten like a little more confidence uh you know sort of in terms of what i was doing but yeah so 
like you kind of touched upon it there, but like, was there kind of a a light bulb moment in where you thought, oh, I can actually pursue this as a as a career kind of thing? Like, was it just kind of, I guess, that repetition of practicing and, and kind of getting better at it, and I guess that kind of validation of kind of getting your work on record was that kind of something that you were like oh I like people are actually paying me to do this like I can carry this on I kind think of thing. for me it was more that like I knew I needed a job and <laughs> yeah. I knew that I really like I think I sort of determined by that point that I really wanted to try and be self-employed in some sense or that like I didn't like working for people, um, <laughs> uh, whether it be just that I didn't like bosses or didn't like having to do what someone told me to do, um, whatever. I was just kind of like, I wanted to be self-employed conceptually or not have a boss. And I think to me, it was just kind of like, this seems like a viable concept of something that I like doing something that I could be paid for. <laughs> and, you know, like, and I think that was enough for me to sort of be like, I could try this and like, you know, like maybe give it a shot kind of thing. Yeah. And in terms of kind of like your sort of, I guess, quote unquote sort of style, like I think something that I personally kind of relate what you sort of, mostly sort of mix and master and stuff too is kind of the whole kind of new wave of sort of uh like street punk sort of oi punk sort of stuff that's coming out at the moment so i don't know is that is is it just like at the moment that's what your ear is attuned to or is that something that you feel like you've kind of can pick up what a band wants from that sound and your skill set is sort of working within those parameters i mean honestly it's not i don't seek things out pretty much ever so it's not like for one it's not me deciding what i work on <laughs> um, <laughs> no, no, no. but so you know like and i almost never for like mastering work especially i besides that story about the orchid tribute like i can't think of anything i've turned down um you know yeah, I'm pretty much happy to work on anything someone has, you know, like whether or not I like it, whether or not, I mean, I always try and like understand it and like get into like the headspace of it when I'm working on it for sure. Um, yeah. Which is totally different than like if someone just put this on and was like, yo, are you into this? I'm like, I don't know. Like, I don't think about it. Like, <laughs> yeah. It's more like, what is the artists trying to achieve and how can I like help them achieve that but it but yeah so it's not anything that I'm like associated with mastering it's because whatever I've worked on other things with that person and they like continually send me stuff which is awesome or they've heard something else that I've worked on that they like and that you know made them reach out to me which is also cool Mm. you know but it's not a I literally never like I mean there's maybe like one or two friends where it's like they're working on some record and I'm like if you want to like I would be into like mastering this but I, but like yeah, I've never yeah. approached like 
a stranger or a band or even for the most part a friend working on something to be to like pitch myself or you know yeah, this is what I'm yeah, yeah. into or like good at or like this is my shit uh yeah with recording i mean i think that I mean, I, again even recording wise i don't turn down almost anything i there are some things i would turn down but for the most part they don't want to record with me anyway so it's fine uh, <laughs> yeah. like you know when i first started the studio and it was like you know no one obviously knew who the fuck i was i was putting up flyers and stuff which was awful because i would have like some funk band that like wanted to record with me and i would say yes because <laughs> whatever um and then i would spend like four miserable days with a funk band and be like my life is shit so you know like <laughs> if a funk band hit me up right now i would do anything to not record them but um but at the same time if they hit me up for mastering i would be like yeah sure like i'm down like so um i mean they yeah, probably, yeah. again they probably wouldn't because they're not like most funk bands are not like aware of who I even am, so and that's fine. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, I think anything I'm associated with is not necessarily because of me or my tastes, or maybe it's what my style or my idea of what I think people want. Maybe it's because of what that relates to or works with musically, you know, like mm. whatever people hear it on a certain my work on a certain style of something and think that's cool so maybe you know like there's some natural progression like that but it's not it's not something that i have like try strived for uh, yeah and kind of on that note like obviously not necessarily like the the idea of you sort of pitching yourself but i think like for for myself and i know other people have this sort of notion as well but if they're kind of like scrolling through Bandcamp, looking for specifically like new music and they come across like a demo or something and they look at the produced by and or engineered by or whatever and it says your name like that's kind of like a gold star in some aspects like <laughs> well you should but, uh, like... <laughs> no i'm kidding <laughs> no but like i mean like for obviously with yourself like back in the day working with the likes of Kurt Ballou and like nowadays I think people put your name with the likes of Kurt Ballou and Will Putney and and Will Yip and, and people like that so like I don't like is there some like some sense of validation that you took this risk to start this this business and now people will see your name and they'll take that as a as a sign of oh this is at least at the bare base ground level worth checking out whether they like it or not they'll they'll give it a listen because you've had some hand in i mean it. yeah that's very cool and flattering um yeah like i mean i think that more than anything what that signifies is that maybe whoever sent it to me has similar tastes to anyone who sees that on Bandcamp and thinks that it might be cool you know like that person yeah, person yeah. sent it to me to work on probably thinks that other things I've worked on were cool also. So there's probably some like deeper connection there between the listener and the creator. And I'm like a 
bridge between. <laughs> yeah. And it's not like necessarily because of me, um, other than that, you know, like whatever, I'll try and do my best to, uh, you know, like bring to life whatever it is that this person is trying to create. And maybe I have a better understanding of that than what other people might, or like how to get there, you know, like. So that's why they hit me up and that might be why it resonates with a listener or something, but um, mm. yeah, I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> and this is kind of a, a bit of a hypothetical and it, it may not be applicable in some aspects because you said like it's, you're not really someone that kind of seeks out, it's more people come to seek you. But in a, a sort of a dream world, like is there kind of an artist or a style of music that maybe people wouldn't necessarily associate you with that you'd like to kind of give your hands a go at and, and maybe try? Um, I mean, there's lots of stuff that I'd like to work more on, but it's not necessarily, I mean, I guess it's because I'd like to try it or whatever, but it's not necessarily because it's like, I have some like dying creative urge to like express myself by working out, but you know, like, a lot of times yeah. I'm like, there's a lot of like black metal stuff or like noise stuff or um, ambient stuff that's like when I work on things like that, I'm like, this is cool and I don't work on much music like this. Um, mm. But I feel like I can bring out cool aspects or, uh, you know, so it's like, I think when people send me stuff like that, I'm excited because it's like, it's a little different and it's a little more, I mean, all sorts of recordings can be challenging to work on. So I shouldn't say it's more challenging, but it's, it's a different challenge. Uh, and so that's yeah. cool. Um, and, but for me, again, as someone who doesn't, as I said, I'm a bad business person. I don't write, I don't reach out to people. Um, but you know, I'm like, <laughs> I, so I don't have like an avenue of like whatever working out. People obviously involved in, punk and hardcore make music of all different types and that's how I work on some of the more diverse stuff I get whether it's noise or black metal or whatever electronic stuff um, but it's like I don't know how to even like get on the radar of like those people like I think at one point I don't think the forum even exists anymore but at one point I posted on like the nuclear war now forum just to be like mastering available which is about as hard as I like yeah trying to tell myself like one post you know to be like hello black metal world and I, <laughs> yeah. and I think that got me like one person who hit me up with it was like oh this is cool and like most black metal stuff i work on obviously like probably like doesn't list any credits because it's like they you know it's all like in some like shroud of secrecy so like I'll yeah, work on yeah, some yeah. black metal thing and I'll be like, oh, this is cool. Maybe like some other band will see this and like they'll hit me up. And then it's like, oh no, I'm not like credited at all on this record. <laughs> 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 oh no, no one will like reach out to me about more black metal or whatever because of all. No. I mean, it's not to harp on black metal, it's just an easy thing to talk about. <laughs> yeah, no, that's cool. Um, and just to, to round things up, and sort of wind things down. Obviously, we you mentioned kind of the beginning of the conversation that you've been working on 
some people's sort of quarantine projects yeah. and i think person like from a personal point of view i've found it really interesting how creative people have been during this time so how have you found kind of working on those those projects like that are essentially bedroom recordings yeah. but nowadays because everyone has access to all these different types of softwares on the yeah. computer and stuff have you been surprised at like the quality of some of these projects for sure there's definitely stuff i mean i get stuff sent to me all the time that people self-recorded uh, that don't have any like formal background or it might be really basic recording or maybe they've tried their hardest to make it as pro as they can um and lots of times i'm surprised by like how good something sounds or you know like or I'm surprised in this even necessarily the right word because it's not like I'm like, oh, I can't believe they did a good job. <laughs> um, yeah. They, you know, like things will sound good and it's cool. And there's definitely some, I mean, a lot of the quarantine stuff I've been sent has been like maybe more of the electronic element or like a drum machine, stuff like that. So in some ways it's yeah. not easier to make those sound good, but it's, it's harder to make them sound bad maybe on like the, self-recording angle uh, yeah I mean, but yeah i mean i definitely get sent stuff that's you know totally like fine normal to work on that people are just making in their their bedroom uh and that's cool for sure perfect brilliant well thank you very much for your time really appreciate you giving some time of your day um sure. i'm sure down the line i will see several more records with your name attached and absolutely <laughs> love them so i look forward to it Cool. Thank you. I appreciate it. No worries. Take care. So there we have it, folks. Again, a huge thank you to Will for having a little chat with me. Um, If you want to check out any of the product projects, even, that Will is currently involved in, I'll be putting various links in the description notes of this episode, as well as all the details that you need to get in contact with Dead Air Studios. And if you're inclined and part of the punk and hardcore world and you need a record mix and mastered, I'd highly recommend going to Will or just checking out the stuff he's done before. He's done, like, there's too many records to list, but all of the work he's done, as mentioned in the chat, I think is fucking rad. So, yeah, if that's your your way inclined, I'd highly recommend checking him out. Um, But, yeah, that's it for another week. As always, thank you for supporting the show, whether this is the first episode you've listened to or the 159th episode you've listened to, really appreciate it. If you can subscribe, rate, review, as always, it's really, really appreciated. But for now, thank you for stopping by the Justin Insight podcast, and I will see you soon.